Welcome to Smart Habits for Translators, a podcast for translators by translators, bringing you simple strategies to build better habits. In each episode, we will focus on specific habits for translators in various stages of their careers. If you're a translator who enjoys learning about habits to improve your business and lifestyle, then this is the podcast for you. We're your hosts, Madalena Sanchez-Ampalo and Veronica de Michelis. Like you, we are professional freelance translators trying to balance the challenges that come with building a career and maintaining clarity and boundaries between work and personal life. We hope you'll join us in this conversation about smart habits and discover some simple strategies you can apply today to help you build your career and achieve the lifestyle you desire. Welcome to Smart Habits for Translators. Today's episode is a special one. We have our first guest. Before we introduce our guest, we'd like to share some great tips from our listeners and Instagram followers that we received last week when we asked the question, what do you do on blah days? Uh, referring to our episode on finding motivation. We've received so many great answers. Um, here are some of them. Watch TV, watch Netflix in particular, put on your favorite music, eat some chocolate, drink some coffee, meditate, rest, exercise, read a book, get out of the house for hot chocolate, or all of the above. We hope that our colleagues' tips will help you decide what to do on those days when you're lacking motivation or how to turn those days around. And if you missed that episode, go to your favorite podcasting app and find episode 10 called Finding Motivation. I see we have colleagues who like chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> and now on to today's special episode. Our guest today is Susie Jackson. Susie is a freelance copy editor and a Spanish to English translator specializing in academic texts for the social sciences. She also mentors freelancers to help them figure out how much they should be charging and who their ideal client is so they can earn a decent living doing what they love. Thanks for joining us, Susie. Hi, Madalena. Hi, Veronica. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being our first ever guest on this podcast. We're so excited to have you. So let's jump right in. Uh, can you tell us when and how did you start your freelance career? Yeah, um, I started doing some freelance translation around my full-time job in, I think it was early 2015. Um, I'd done a degree in languages, but I hadn't really known what I wanted to do as a career when I graduated. So I ended up working in a, a university administration. Um, and some people probably think that sounds like a total nightmare, but um, I have always been a really kind of organized person and liked admin. So I actually quite enjoyed the job, but it, you know, it wasn't something that I saw myself doing long-term. My partner got a job in the US and moved over there and I was still in the UK. So I needed some extra money to be able to fly over and see him as often as possible. Um, and that's kind of where the, the translation came in. So I started taking jobs that I could do kind of evenings and weekends around my full time job. And then after it's probably about eight months of doing it on that basis, I decided to take my translation and editing business full time. So that was the end of 2015. Um, and that just gave me so much more flexibility. It's great. That's wonderful. I mean, to think that you could like think that far ahead and go, okay, this is how I'm going to, you had motivation to make the money uh, in your job to go see him. I think that's really cool. Yeah, no, it was never something that I really anticipated doing as a career. I'd never really thought about it, but I think mm -hmm. it was something that came naturally to me and was a way that I could make that extra money. So um, that's how it started. And then I just found I really enjoyed it. So it's great that I was able to take that full time. Yeah. 
That's excellent. And it sounds like um, all that experience really gives you great insights to help other freelancers, you know, when you mentor them. Yeah, I think, uh, especially having worked in admin, you know, I'm, I'm, I've got kind of a head start over other freelancers in that sense. Like I know how to run a business efficiently. Right. So yeah, I do have a blog where I write about different topics like this. Um, But I also, yeah, I love the mentoring side of things. You know, I find there are a lot of things that I do naturally, you know, systems that I have in place in my business that, you know, it doesn't come naturally to a lot of freelancers to do that stuff because, you know, they maybe they translate because they love languages, but the business side of running a business is is trickier for them. So yeah, I love right. being able to help people with that. Yeah, yeah, it can be a struggle. Um, so uh, what does a typical workday look like for you? Well, it can vary, but I get up between about six and seven um, usually, and I try to fit some exercise and journaling in before having breakfast. I always aim to start work by 9, 9 a.m. And I usually do have emails waiting for me by that time. Um, so I spend a few minutes answering the most urgent ones. Ideally, I wouldn't do email first thing in the morning because um, I think, you know, I'm most productive first thing. So I'd rather just get straight Mm -hmm. into what I need to be doing for the day. But because I always have emails waiting for me, I do. I do need to just spend a few minutes on it. So I start with just the really the most urgent ones um, and anything that doesn't require an urgent response, I leave for later in the day. And then I get on with some client work because, as I said, mornings are my most productive time. After lunch, I always have a bit of a slump in productivity. So I try to make the most of that by kind of using that time to respond to those less urgent emails or engaging on social media, basically doing the things that don't require too much focus from me. And then I spend the later part of the afternoon doing more focus work on admin and marketing my own business or sometimes more client work if I, you know, if we have a deadline moving or something. Um, and I usually finish the day around 7 p.m., which is maybe a bit later than other freelancers might do. But my partner doesn't tend to get home from work until about 7 or 8. So I try and make the most of it and, and just work straight through. I don't have children, so I'm able to do that at the moment. Mm. <laughs> And uh, looking back uh, to when you started uh, freelancing, do you see that your daily routine changed and evolved um, over these years? I would say it hasn't changed too much. I think I've always tried to maintain more or less like normal working hours and not work at weekends and things like that. Um, I do sometimes work at weekends now, which at the beginning I was adamant that I would never do. Um, but equally at the beginning, I find it really difficult to take holiday from my business. You know, I would, even if I went away and was visiting family, I would still be working. Whereas now I'm a lot better at kind of putting my out of office on and switching off totally. So, um, I think it kind of balances out, you know, sometimes I work weekends, but other times I take time off during the week. So, so yeah, I think it it works out. I'm a bit more flexible now than I was at the beginning. Yeah, I think, I feel like I remember that. I mean, when I was, when I started too, I didn't allow myself to be that flexible, I guess. I don't know. Um, I could see how that could be, that could change over the years though. Um, So what are some smart habits that you believe are crucial for freelancers? Well, there are a few things. I think first things first, I would definitely say all freelancers should be tracking their time. Um, The most important thing to track is obviously like how long you spend on on projects for your clients. But I now actually track my time for pretty much all of my business activities. So, you know, that includes admin, social media, writing blog posts, things like that. And, and this really allows me to predict how long different types of tasks will take me when I'm planning ahead. 
But then the other thing I would say is I've always kept really detailed records of my client projects. And this probably comes back to liking admin, which I know not everyone does, right. but you know, I record everything from um, the number of words in the document and how much I charged to how long I spent working on it, what field it was in, when I invoiced, when it was paid. Um, mm -hmm. That means that whenever I get a request for new work from a client I've worked for before, I can look back and see how much I charged them in the past and how many words per hour I was actually able to translate for them. Um, and this is important because my speed can vary quite a bit based on the client's writing style and the subject area. Plus, you know, when I get a request for work from a new potential client I've never worked, from, worked for before, I have good data to base my quotation on. Yeah, so I think this is something a lot of freelancers don't naturally do, but it's just a question of getting a system set up and making it have it really. Yeah, and you know, that's, a, that's an interesting thing because if you do track this over time, you can also see what projects allow you to make more per hour. You know, the ones where you can work faster in an hour and maybe it doesn't take a full, you know, solid hour or two hours and you end up making the same amount. So that's a really um, a good thing to, t to keep track of, I think. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, good. So let's talk about financial habits in particular. Uh, many freelancers struggle with like the feast or famine cycle and the financial uncertainty that can come with that. Um, what can we do to overcome this type of cycle and uncertainty? Well, going back to what I just said about keeping records, I think it's so important to invoice promptly and keep track of who actually owes you money and whether or not they've paid you yet. So, you know, I outsource work to other translators sometimes, and there have been several times when they haven't even invoiced me and I've chased and chased them to give me their bank details so I could pay them. Um, I think if you aren't organized about making sure that you get paid, there are people that will take advantage and then you'll never receive that money. So that's that's yeah. kind of the, the basic thing that you need to be doing. But then the other thing that we can try to do is sort of pay ourselves a consistent salary month to month. Um, I think when I started, I would sort of just pay myself everything that I'd earned in the month, which some months was great and other months was terrible. So what I try to do now is, you know, I've set a figure for how much I need to pay myself each month um, to cover, you know, my own personal expenses. And then I stick to it. And if I have a great month income wise, I leave some money in my business account. I don't pay it all out to my personal account. Right. Um, and that way, if I have a quiet month, I generally still have a buffer and I can pay myself the same same amount. The same monthly salary. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. Exactly. And that really helps balance out the feast and famine cycle and kind of gives me some consistency in my income, which... You know, if I wanted to get a mortgage or something that would require some financial stability, that's, mm -hmm. you know, a really good thing. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's that's an excellent habit to implement. And I can see that um, as a freelancer, you it, it doesn't, as you say, it doesn't come naturally to think this way because you tend to think like of salaries for, you know, it's, it's for salaried people who have a, mm -hmm. a stable job at the office or even if they're working remotely for an employer, then they get the, the regular salary. But it's, it's a great mindset and it's mindset change. Um, what other financial habits do you see other freelancers struggle with? I think it's really easy to overspend on business expenses. Mm -hmm. um, I remember when I started, I heard that I could claim all kinds of things as business expenses. Yeah. So I basically just paid for them, even when maybe it wasn't necessary, because <laughs> I thought, well, I can claim the tax, so that's great. But, you know, at the end of the day, the more business expenses you have, the less money you get to keep for yourself. So one of the things I really advocate is creating a budget for your, for your business expenses and then being really disciplined in putting money aside each month to cover it. Similarly, I've always made sure I put money aside for taxes as 
that income comes in. So I know some people don't do this and then you're hit with a tax bill at the end of the year and you maybe don't have enough in your account to pay it. So I think if you set the money aside as it's coming in, it's like having it deducted by your employer, you know, if you previously had a salary position. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then it doesn't feel like you're losing money in the same way as if you suddenly have to pay a massive tax bill out of your own pocket at the end of the year. So um, yeah, I think that's, that's a really useful thing to do. Yeah, that's great. And I I completely agree with you on that thing that it's so easy to overspend because, um, well, you often think, you know, these are all the things I need to to Mm. succeed or to market myself. I need a website, I need business cards, I need marketing material, and I need to, you know, take professional development uh, courses. And and there's so many things. And if you're not um, strict with yourself about it, um, it can get out of hand. And also I often remember, because I I have that experience working um, in a corporate setting that um, a freelancer is a, is, is a small, it's a small business. So you're essentially wearing um, all these hats that in a corporate setting, your colleagues are wearing, you have an IT mm-hmm. guy, you have an HR person, you have a finance guy, you know, or, <laughs> or woman. And um, as a freelancer, it's all on you. So just keeping that in mind and budgeting really helps, right? Because every office, every company has to stick to a budget as well. So they have their budget for, you know, their personnel development and and all these other things. So um, it's a great habit to think, uh, to think about uh, your freelance business in the same sort of along the same lines. Definitely. I think like professional development is a, is a big area where this can be an issue because you see all, you know, webinars being offered by all these people who you really respect and you think oh that's going to be so useful I'll sign up and before you know it you've paid out for so many webinars and then maybe you Mm. can't even attend live and you get around to watching the recording and then yeah and it just gets a bit out of hand and I think some people have this mindset about budgeting like it's going to be really restrictive and I'm not going to be able to stick to it and uh, I think that that's you know you have to go into it with a positive mindset because if you don't think you're going to be able to stick to it, you're basically giving yourself permission to fail or to not stick to it. Mm-hmm. So I think mindset's really, really important. But equally, when you're setting the budget, you know, it needs to be realistic. And so I, you know, my process for, for doing this involves looking back at your expenses over the last year and just really thinking about what you needed to spend over the last year, not just like trying to pick numbers out of the air that sound good, but like basing it in reality so that when the time comes in your, you know, for the coming year, you don't feel like it's super restrictive. Like you do feel like there's enough money to pay for what you need, you know, mm-hmm. and then basing your rates around that budget as well. Yeah. yeah. Susie, do you find that your budget for certain areas changes from one year to the next? Like one year you might uh, be able to budget more for professional development and other years less or how, how do you figure that out from year to year? I mean, besides yeah. looking back at the previous year. Yeah, it does vary. And I think like, for example, one year you might be paying out a lot of money because you're setting up a new website, for example, Right. but that's not going to be every year or mm-hmm. one year you, your computer breaks and you need to buy a new one, but you're not going to have that expense every year, hopefully. Right. So um, yeah, it's kind of taking those things into consideration and thinking, okay, well, if, if last year I paid out, however much for a new website well that's not going to be every year so that money that was you know that I used for that could be allocated to other areas in my budget for the coming year so yeah mm-hmm. um you have to spend some time on it I, I tend to do this probably twice a year where I, I look um and you know I, I do check in with my finances 
at least once a month as well and just check that I'm on track. I log everything that I've been spending, compare that to what I was expecting to spend for the month um, mm -hmm. and just make sure that I'm on track. Yeah, it's really important to familiarize yourself with the numbers in your business if you yeah. want to make it work. Yeah. Do you use a specific um, accounting software or anything or is it more just your own type of setup? Um, no, I just do it all on a spreadsheet. Okay. Um, yeah. And actually, I mean, that works great. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I do know other people use software and maybe if you're not so familiar with spreadsheets, um, some of the, you know, accounting software packages out there might be a good option for you, but I find a spreadsheet works pretty well. Um, mm -hmm. And actually I'm offering as a bonus to your listeners, um, I'm offering my budgeting spreadsheet as a free download as well. So if people oh, are interested great. and that comes with video instructions on how to use it too. So. Awesome. Cool. Thank you so much. Um, so let's talk about the profit first system. Um, can you tell us what it is in a nutshell and how does it work for you and your business? Yeah, so Profit First is a business book um, and it essentially kind of flips money mindset on its head. So traditionally, people think about profit as being income minus expenses. Um, but this can lead to very little profit in the end because our expenses can be quite high and there's nothing really left after the expenses have been deducted. So the author says that we should think about our expenses as income minus profit. So setting aside profit first and then only allowing ourselves to use the, the remainder for, for our expenses. Um, people are probably listening and thinking that sounds fine if you've got like a big business and you, you're aiming for loads of profit or whatever, but this isn't for freelancers. Um, it's true. The book isn't written for freelancers, but the idea can still be applied to our businesses by thinking about paying ourselves a consistent salary each month, as we discussed earlier, and also setting aside a small percentage of all incoming payments as profit that we can then use to pay ourselves, for example, a bonus each quarter um, or something like that, or, you know, have some extra funding for a one-off expense that we've maybe been uh, looking at buying but didn't have money in the budget for. The idea is that once we've paid ourselves a salary and we've put money aside for profit and taxes, the amount that's left is our allocation for business expenses. Mm -hmm. So, you know, doing it in this way can help us stay um, on track with our expenses, keep them in check, because then we just don't have an unlimited budget for them. In terms of like how I apply this to my own business, I split every incoming payment into percentages and I have separate accounts for them. So a lot of banks will let you have savings accounts for free in your online banking. So I have, you know, I have my business account and then I have four um, savings accounts set up. And for every incoming payment, I split it into percentages. So I'm going to get really specific. I hope that's okay. But I'm going to sure. give examples yeah. of like the percentages that I use in my yeah, yeah, business. Yeah, yeah, please so, do. Because I think this is helpful for people who are listening. Yeah. Yeah. So um, in my case, I transfer 55% of every incoming payment into an account for my salary. Um, and I've worked out, you know, how much I need to be paying myself each month to cover my personal expenses. And then I use that amount to set my rates. So I know that 55% of my incoming payments will cover what I need to pay myself each month. So yeah, 55% for personal salary and then 25% for taxes and pension contributions. But of course that could vary depending on what country you're based in, how high your uh, tax requirements are, things like that. Um, I then do 8% for profit and 12% for business expenses. Um, so of course these percentages are going to vary for everyone because it depends on a number of factors. Like you need to work out for yourself how much you need to pay yourself each month as a salary. 
how much tax you're required to pay in your country, how high your business expenses are likely to be, you know, all of those things will affect how you should set your percentages. Um, but with these percentages in mind, I work out how much I need to be charging. And then once or twice a year, I kind of review it and make sure that I'm still on track financially, see if I need to tweak anything. How interesting. How long have you been doing this, the Profit First system this way? Uh, about a year and a half, I think. Okay. And it's been working well for you. Did you find any like hiccups along the way? No, I actually found it fairly easy to implement. I think because I've always had good systems for keeping track of my finances. Um, and it maybe if you don't currently um, have great systems in place, it might, you know, take a while for you to kind of get used to tracking everything to the same extent. Um, but I found it, I found it fairly easy to do. I think it's interesting because, as I said, the book isn't written for freelancers and, and the author talks a lot about, you know, if you've got different partners in a company and paying each person's salary and stuff, like obviously those parts of the books can pretty much be ignored um, if your listeners decide to read it. But um, I think one of the key things for me when I read it was it just made me start thinking about my translation business as a business rather than just something I do freelance. Yeah, I think that's a really important distinction. I mean, I have this book, I've read it, it's, it's an excellent book. Um, and I think that, you know, there are a lot of business books that we can all really um, take and learn from as freelancers as well and implement some of these things into our business. So I'm glad to, to hear you say that too, because I thought it was a great book. So we can, um, we'll link to that in the show notes. Right, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that makes me uh, want to read that book too. I think I have it on my um, Amazon wish list. I, I better hurry up and, and order it and read it. But I think it sounds like a great holistic system because that it sounds like it's helpful in so many ways. Not only can you sort of predict what you're getting each month because you have you know agreed with yourself what, what salary you're getting in every month, but also it helps to set your rates and make sure you have enough for taxes and um, adopt a budget for all these other things, which I think budgets are sort of freeing because for me, uh, it eliminates that sort of thinking like, oh, should I buy this or not? Like if you have a budget, it, you pretty much understand if you can spend money on something or not because you're like, okay, then the decision is easy. It's a yes or a no and not like going back and forth. Yeah, I think that's that's so true. I think people think of budgets in a negative way, mm. but actually it can be really useful for decision making. Yes. Um, yeah. Because you can think, well, okay, I, I want to buy this. I'm interested, but do I have the money for it? Yes. Great. Well, then I'll go ahead. And then you don't feel guilty about it mm -hmm. if you've got money in the budget for it. But yeah, I think using a system like this, it can really help you understand how much you need to be charging your clients as well. Yeah. So mm. if you know what you need to be earning as a minimum to pay yourself your salary, to cover your tax bill, and to pay for any business expenses you need, um, according to the budget you've set, then you'll know what the absolute minimum is that you could accept for any given job. Um, and I found that really helpful when a client tries to negotiate my price down. You know, mm. I'm a lot firmer now in saying no if they want to pay less than I need to earn because mm. I know like that's just not going to work for me. I need to earn a certain amount. Right. Yeah, it takes the emotion out of it as much. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So our last question kind of rolls right into our um, smart habit check-in as well, I've realized. <laughs> Is there a particular habit related to work or personal interest that you're working on right now? And can you share maybe some of your goals and progress with us? Yeah, I'm trying to get in the habit of planning each week in advance and then blocking time out on my calendar for things that I know I'll, I'll need to get done. Um, and this isn't, I've, it's definitely not been perfect so far, but every Friday afternoon I spend some time looking ahead to the following week 
and I block out time for working on client projects that I know I've got coming up plus you know any calls that I have scheduled and personal commitments I know are coming up too so if I know that you know one afternoon I'm going to meet a friend I block that in my calendar and then I plan my tasks for the week around the time that I have um, I think it's really important to budget in uh, using the term budget and I've got budgets on, on the brain but um, to kind of plan time for things that you want to do personally as well um, you know I don't live very close to my family so once a week I have a Skype call with my parents um, and it's always it's always pretty much the same time every week so I have that in my calendar because you know I don't want to find that I don't have time for that or whatever like that is a priority for me so um, I'm trying to get really disciplined about blocking um, you know time out in my calendar also for things like content creation I think it can be really difficult to find the time for writing blog posts and stuff like that unless you actually you know schedule it for yeah. yourself and make sure that you don't just prioritize other things when the time comes so after I've kind of blocked out things like client projects and calls and stuff like that I then try to allocate specific times a day for email and social media and the idea then is that I won't do those things outside of those blocks and I should be able to focus better when I'm trying to get other things done. So if I'm in a block that's for client work, I close my email, I put my phone on, do not disturb. Um, and I just try to really, really focus. Um, that's great. Yeah. And Discipline. Then <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's not always perfect. Like I said, you know, it doesn't always go as planned, but at least if I start the week with that plan in place, it's, um, you know, it's, it's looking good from the beginning, you know, it's early days, but. I'm happy with how it's going so far. That's good. Do you set a timer or anything like that for your time blocks? Because that's something that I realize is difficult for me is switching from one task to the next. Cause you know, you lose some time there and also mm. you can go over time if you're not really careful about like when your time block starts and ends. Yeah. I, I'm generally pretty good at keeping an eye on the time. So I, I think if I'm setting a a block for say content creation or like strategic work for my business, mm -hmm. I tend to try and do like a whole morning. So like a three hour block or something. Um, in which case, you know, I might break off to go make a cup of tea or whatever, but um, I'm pretty focused during that time. And then I know when it's time to finish because I get hungry for lunch. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty good. But like, yeah, sometimes with client projects, I do have to be a bit more disciplined. Um, but though I'm generally pretty good at, at just seeing when time is up and then being able to switch. So, uh, but I guess I could, I, you know, set an alarm or something if I, if I found that I was struggling with that. Yeah. Great. Yeah. I'm really curious about the block system and I feel like I have to commit to trying it out. Um, because what I do now and that kind of rolls into my me sharing my, my habit progress is I, um, always, um, schedule time for my workouts like a week ahead I usually do it on Sunday um and then just look at my calendar for the week and um uh, go and like book my my spot um at the studio where I exercise for for classes and that way it's in my calendar and I'm committed to it but um I feel like I should try the block system for uh for work as well and for all the other things that have, have to get done because I I feel like I often even though I do have a to-do list for the day, there are some days where the schedule is kind of more loose. And so you sit down and you kind of feel like, oh, it's a blank slate. Like I can do whatever I want. And that doesn't usually work out very well. <laughs> so um, as to my habit progress, um, the habit I'm working on right now still actually is um, exercising regularly um, and just consistently moving throughout the day or scheduling time for exercise. And it's been um, kind of hard uh, this uh, past couple of weeks because 
I had a lot of work uh, the previous week. And so I often feel like, oh, I can't afford, you know, to go and work out for an hour. And I feel like even if I go and like walk for 20 minutes or something, it's not the same because I really like, you know, stepping out of the house and seeing other people. And I'm the person who uh, kind of gives it my all uh, in a in a group workout setting versus working out um, by myself. And also the studio um, close to my house where I have been working out the last six months is closing this weekend. So I have oh. to decide... I have to decide what place will become my new sort of home for for exercise. And I realized how a small change like this, you know, in a grand scheme of things, it's really nothing, just finding your gym, but it can really throw you off balance um, because you get used to the place. So there's a little bit of grief and there's also this uncertainty like, okay, what do I do now? Which place do I pick? So I found myself reviewing the strategies we discussed in um, our episode number six on exercise and nutrition. So kind of, you know, talking through this with myself, what kind of workouts am I looking for? How do I want this place to feel? How the schedule of the gym or the studio fits with my own daily schedule and so on. And um, really um, making myself um, this week, especially schedule workouts in my calendar, book them um, in advance and uh, because those kind of late, late cancel fees can be a strong motivator not to skip or cancel last minute <laughs> and also check in with an accountability buddy so I've been texting Madalena or talking to my husband who um, is my other accountability buddy and like checking in like okay I've, I've done this today or tomorrow I'm planning to uh, go and do that so it's been helpful. Uh, what about you Madalena? I'm actually working still on my habit that I mentioned probably a few episodes ago about reading more when I'm not working. Mm -hmm. I find that like I have, um, I don't have as much motivation to read if I'm in the middle of a book that I'm not like really into, but I need to read for whatever reason. Uh, I was reading a book recently that I was not that excited about and I was just really trying to get through it. And usually for me, it's like we, I think we said in that episode, if I can't get into a book right in the beginning, then I'll just move on to another book. Yeah. But in this case, I really needed to finish this particular book and I was just like slogging through it and it was taking forever. And so I realized that I was sort of dropping my habit of reading each day because I wasn't looking forward to it. So when I finally finished the book, I decided to get a new book um, that I would be excited to read and enjoy, which I'm going to share actually next mm-hmm. with you guys. Yeah. Um, but it was, it's funny how, a habit can easily be kept or lost it, depending on like how motivated you are or how excited you are about it. So that's something that I was thinking about recently. You know, I mean, something as simple as, as reading for a certain amount of time each day. I love to read, but I can easily find other things to do. And then that gets pushed aside, just like any good habit that we try to start. Um, and so, yeah, that was something that I, I realized I need to work on a little bit more for you know those times when I need to read something or I need to do a certain habit that maybe I'm not that excited about, like what can I do to make it more at least enjoyable, something that I can still make sure happens. That's so true. And I recently had a similar experience, a, a book that I, I just couldn't connect with the main character. I I was like it was I was really, you know, 
forcing myself to pick up the book and, and finish it because yeah. it was for it was for the book club. <laughs> so okay. I was like, I have to I have to finish this. But then and then towards the end, things turned around and I really, you know, I got into it and I really liked what was happening. But um, uh, it was a really uh, strange experience. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What kind of books we can connect to. So that actually brings me to our, our special segment. Susie's graciously agreed to join us in our popular segment, Book Nook. So um, if you're new here, Book Nook is where we like to mention a book we're currently reading or what we've recently read that we feel is worth sharing with you all. So Susie, what book are you reading right now or have you read recently that you think our colleagues might like to read as well? Well, it's funny, Veronica just mentioned a book club. Um, I'm actually in a kind of like an online book club for freelancers where we read um, business books that might be in interesting to us, given the nature of our business. Um, and we recently read a book called The 12 Week Year, which is all about setting goals for each 12 weeks with the idea that you'll have kind of the momentum of a new year with New Year's resolutions and everything. And then the pressure of a deadline looming, like end of year, every 12 weeks. Um, and the book argues that this is preferable over having, say, quarterly goals, as is like the more traditional model, um, because these 12-week goals can be standalone things. They don't have to be kind of connected to each other. And they aren't set too far in advance as well. So you'll finish a 12-week period and set new goals for the next 12 weeks, and it doesn't have mm -hmm. to be anything related. Whereas I think people can be like, oh, we've got a year coming. I have to set my goals for each quarter now in advance. And by the time we get to quarter four, the thing that you plan for really isn't even that relevant to your business anymore so yeah I kind of I liked the concept um and the book also includes advice on blocking out times in your calendar each week like I just talked about so um time specifically for working on strategic tasks that will get you closer to your goals um as well as kind of getting busy work done so emails and and things like that great yeah I think I've heard of this book we'll have to put we'll put all of these in our show notes yeah. as well the book I am currently reading, um, I just started it this week. It's called uh, Tiny Habits, The Small Changes That Change Everything. Um, and it's by um, a behavior scientist at Stanford University. And he's also the director of their behavior design lab, um, BJ Fogg. Um, and I've heard about it um, on a few podcasts I listened to and read about it online. And I thought um, it sounded interesting because his approach um, to uh, establishing habits is that you rather than deciding on a habit you want to adopt you try and break it down to a tiniest little change you can imagine like say instead of I'm going to run um, every day after work you just say okay every day after work I'm going to put on my running shoes like that's the tiniest little step you can come up with mm -hmm. so you know, based on that example, you decide on these small, tiny changes to your routine and then um, also wire those habits in with uh, positive emotions rather than um, focusing on repetition. Um, because if, if repetition doesn't happen for some reason, you tend to blame yourself or feel guilty or just kind of getting into that negative um, loop of feelings, but rather noticing how once you get it done, every time you do get it done, how does it make you feel? And so using that positive emotion as a reward and focusing on that. Um, and he also talks about breaking bad habits in that book uh, based on that same principle. So I'm really liking it so far. Interesting. Part of that sounds a little bit like the book that I shared previously, um, Atomic Habits. Right. Yes. Yeah. 
Interesting. So the book that I'm uh, reading right now, the one that I'm reading now that I'm finished with the other one that I wasn't that into. And so now I'm more motivated to read, you know, half an hour at least each day. It's actually a book that has nothing to do with business or anything like that. It's called uh, Bad Blood, Secrets and Lies in a Silicon Valley Startup mm-hmm. um, by John Carreyrou. And this is this is actually a, a number one bestseller, but it's not a new story. It's just that it's a story that was in the news um, quite a bit. And since I'm a medical and life sciences translator, it's kind of interesting to me because this is the story um, for anybody who's not who hasn't heard of this. It's the story of um, Elizabeth Holmes, the owner CEO of uh, a company that existed before called Theranos, um, which is a combination of the word therapy and diagnosis. And it's essentially about she's basically a Stanford university dropout who ended up creating like many of the entrepreneurs in Silicon Valley. She ended up creating this huge company. Um, but it, it just goes into the entire scandal. Um, and it's a true story. So it's written by a journalist, but it goes into the, the scandal that took place um, with the company that she created. Uh, they would, they created what was supposed to be a device that people could have at home to um, submit like, blood tests from basically from the comfort of their own home by pricking their finger and it would supposedly like send the result to their doctor or if they were in a clinical trial to the sponsor of the clinical trial so that their medications could be adjusted so the idea the theory behind it is wonderful right but uh it was a complete scandal because it didn't work and they were selling this to all of these major you know um pharmaceutical companies and it's just a very interesting story to see how like how it evolved over the years and I remember seeing this in the news uh, but it's something that to now read the book about how it actually played out it's just fascinating especially I don't know if anybody out there who is a, a life sciences translator might find it interesting just to see the whole concept and how they played it out yeah it sounds really interesting all right so thanks for taking part in our book nook segment Susie Oh, and can you tell um, our listeners where they can learn more about you? Yeah, so um, my I've got two websites. <laughs> my website mm-hmm. for my translation and editing side of the business is sjlanguageservices.com. And then my website for the mentoring side of my business is suzyjackson.co.uk. Um, on, I'm on Instagram as the.organizedfreelancer. And I love, I love Instagram. I post multiple times a week. Um, it's definitely my favorite platform. So if anyone wants to connect with me on there, they're very welcome to do that. Great. We'll add those links in our show notes. And you mentioned you have a freebie as well that you would like to offer our listeners. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah. So uh, as I mentioned, I have a spreadsheet that walks you through how to set a budget for your, your freelance business. Um, and it comes with both video instructions and written instructions so people can work through it however they like. Um, Yeah, so that's one freebie that I'm offering to your listeners. And then I'm also offering 10% off my one-to-one mentoring program if anyone is interested in going into that a bit further. I basically mentor on pricing and figuring out who your ideal client is, setting a long-term vision for where you want your business to go, things like that. So um, yeah, we'd love to hear from people who are interested. Excellent. Yeah, I'm sure that everyone will find a budgeting spreadsheet useful. Um, I, for one, am excited to check it out. And your one-on-one mentoring program um, sounds really useful, too. We'll be sure to share those links in our show notes, um, as well as for anyone interested in finding out more and uh, grabbing these freebies. Great. Thank you so much. 
And that's it for this week's episode. We'll be sending our email subscribers a summary of today's episode with a link to the show notes so that you can grab Susie's freebies and check out the other resources that we mentioned. We'll send it out on March 17th. So if you'd like to receive it, please sign up for our emails on our website, smarthabitsfortranslators.com. Speaking of our emails, our next episode will be available on March 24th. This will be another special episode, so be sure to hit subscribe wherever you listen to our podcast. Our email subscribers will be the first to know about the special episode, so if you're not receiving our emails yet, be sure to sign up. We'll talk to you then. And Susie, um, again, thank you so much for joining us today. Yes, thanks, Susie. Thank you. Thank you both for having me. It's been great. We hope you enjoyed this episode and discovered a simple strategy that you can apply today at work or at home to help you achieve the lifestyle you desire. If you did, please let us know. We'd love to hear from you. If you have a topic you want us to cover on this podcast, please record a quick voice message and email it to us at hello at smarthabitsfortranslators.com. If you like this episode, please leave us a rating wherever you listen to podcasts and please share the podcast with other translators you know. 